I read you these words from C.S. Lewis's classic children's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Unless you have looked at a world of snow as Edmund had been looking at it, you will hardly be able to imagine what a relief those green patches were after the endless white. What a relief we highlighted that week after the endless white. For this, you'll recall our discussing was the beginning of the end for the reign of the white witch in the land of Narnia. For after untold years of winter and darkness, and after untold years of suffering and hardship, after living for so long underneath a curse of evil and of oppression, finally now, in this moment, unmistakable signs of change were popping up here and there, indicating that the white witch's tyranny over Narnia was coming to an end. That we discussed on the second Sunday of Advent. Well, tonight, on this Christmas Eve, as we prepare to join the shepherds from the nearby fields and beholding the wonder of the Savior born this day unto us, as we do, I want to now read you what the White Witch's lead deputy says to the White Witch about all of this. That is about this sudden change that in this moment of the story is beginning to take place here and there in Narnia. This is no thaw, he says to her, suddenly pulling her sleigh to a halt. No, this is spring. This is spring. What are we to do? Your spell has been destroyed. Your spell has been destroyed. Now in that previous sermon, we talked about how the thaw that was beginning to set in here, and about how the green pines that were beginning to show forth, and about how the few crocuses that were beginning to blossom, we talked in that sermon about how these were not signs of the full-on restoration of Narnia that all had been longing for, but rather how they were signs of the beginning of the longed-for restoration of Narnia. Well, for our purposes tonight, here's what I want to point out about this moment in the story. That is about this pivotal moment in the fictional world of Narnia. About this breaking of the spell. I want to draw your attention to the fact that all of this takes place in a chapter that C.S. Lewis calls Aslan is near. Aslan is near. 
In other words, Aslan, the longed-for savior of Narnia, the one who had breathed Narnia into being and the one who had set it spinning at the first. This same Aslan had now appeared in Narnia to set things right, just as they had long hoped and believed that he one day would. And now with his appearing, Lewis is trying to demonstrate, now everything has begun to change. For with his appearing, Lewis is pointing out, the spell has now been broken. Okay, that's enough about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for now. And so for now... Let us turn to our epistle lesson for the evening, which comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans. Where in the eighth chapter of this letter, we hear Paul tell the Romans about a similar spell that has hovered over our own world. That is, of a similar darkness that has long held our own world in thrall and in bondage. For the creation waits with eager longing to be set free from its bondage, Paul writes. Then going on to say, and not only the creation waits, but we ourselves groan while we wait for our redemption. We in the creation wait with eager longing to be set free, Paul writes. Dear Boulevard family, this condition of being held in thrall by a power greater than ourselves, this condition of being held in bondage by a power outside of the very creation itself, This condition, this state of things, is what the poet Placide Capot is describing in his classic hymn, O Holy Night. When he writes, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world under a spell of darkness, Capot was saying. Long lay the world in a state of suffering, Capot was saying. Long lay the world in a state of groaning, Capot was saying. And in saying this, let us note Capot is highlighting one of the central claims of the Judeo-Christian faith which is that the good world that God created at the first was overtaken by a power utterly antithetical to it and that for creation to then be set straight, for it to be wholly and truly restored, that it would require a mighty work from without by the very God who had created it in the beginning. This state of bondage is what Capot is describing when he writes, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. 
he is recalling us to this central Judeo-Christian claim. A claim appearing as early as Genesis chapter 3 and later captured in the letter we just read from St. Paul. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, the song then says. Till he appeared. And on this line hinges not only the hope of this hymn, and not only the hope of this sermon, but on it hinges the very hope of humanity and the very hope of creation itself. For what Capot is saying, and what I am saying, and what the Apostle Paul is saying, and what C.S. Lewis is saying through his stories about Narnia, is that God, in the birth of Jesus the Christ, has come near, has appeared among us, and that because He has, the winter that has long held the world in darkness has begun to thaw. That because he has, the spell has now been broken. Oh, a thrill of hope, the hymn then goes on to say. Describing the effect this news should have on us as people of faith. A thrill of hope. And with it, Capo writes, a weary world rejoices. Why, we do well to ask this night, does the weary world rejoice at this? Here's why. Not only because of his coming, but more even than that, because of what his coming points us to. Because of what it began. For just as the few green pines and the few blossoming crocuses did not of themselves constitute the full-on restoration of Narnia, but instead pointed unmistakably to the full-on restoration of Narnia, so too does the first coming of God in Christ with all the miraculous healings and wonders that he performed. So too does this first coming of God in Christ constitute not the full-on restoration of this broken, weary, groaning world, but rather marks its beginning. And with its beginning, points unmistakably forward to the full-on restoration that will come with his return. Yes, because of this thrill of hope, our weary world rejoices. Not just because here tonight a line has shone forth in the darkness, but because by virtue of that light, Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Do you follow that?
Oh, dear family, has there ever been a year when the world has needed this thrill of hope more than this one? Has there ever been a year when the world was wearier than it is right now? Has there ever been a year when the world was more in need of a cause for rejoicing than it is right this moment? Yes, after a year such as this, it can be very easy for us to feel as if the darkness is too overwhelming. As if what little light there is might not ever ever come it. But that is why on this night, on this oh holy night, we as a people of faith come back together around this central, pivotal story to remind ourselves that it is always darkest before the dawn and to remind ourselves that in Christ's coming at Christmas, we as people of faith don't profess that the final restoration of our broken world has already taken place, but merely that it has begun. But that since it has begun, it will be brought to completion. That because Christ came, God's kingdom will come. God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. So tonight, at the end of a year when the darkness has seemed so indomitable, and when the groanings of creation have been so audible and so persistent, tonight we as a people of faith gather together to confess once more that on this night long ago, the Word that was with God in the beginning took on human flesh and appeared among us. And that in Him we beheld the glory of God the Father Almighty. And that in Him was light. And that that light shone forth in the darkness. And that the darkness could not overcome it. If we believe this story, dear family, and if we truly understand what it signifies, if we truly understand what it means about the state of healing that has taken place and about the state of things it guarantees for us will one day come to be, if we believe this, and if we understand this, well then, dear family, never has there been such a thrill of hope. And never has there been such cause for a weary world to rejoice. I close by saying this. To fully appreciate the Christmas story is to fully comprehend the power of the light as it wrestles against the darkness. 
It is to acknowledge the persistence of the darkness, conquered foe that it now is. And it is to thereby deny ourselves the false comfort of pretending as if the light has already drowned out the darkness. For you see, that is not the Christ come at Christmas story. That's the return of Christ at the end story. No, the Christmas story, the story of Christ's first coming, the story of God's incarnation in the person of Jesus, the Christmas story is the story of the light's initial penetration of the darkness. And so, in short, to fully appreciate the Christmas story is to fully comprehend that Christmas is not the story's end, but that it is the story's beginning. And it is to understand that in the Judeo-Christian story, beginnings are everything. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Tonight, dear family, this is the beginning we once more celebrate. That on this night, 2,000 years ago, Christ came near. That He appeared. And that because He did, the full-on restoration of this groaning world began. That is what we celebrate on this old holy night. Reminding ourselves anew that until such time as he returns to complete this restoration, that we, his disciples, are to let our own light so shine before all that others might see our light and might find just a little more hope for themselves amid the darkness. And so I close this Christmas Eve by saying this. Even amid the darkness. Even amid a world that is so long laid in sin and error pining. Even upon a creation that groans even now in its sufferings. Even so, our demonstrations of light serve as unmistakable reminders, as unmistakable signs of the morn that yonder breaks. Dear family, hear the good news that the angels proclaim. Unto us on this night in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And thus unto us on this night, the spell has been broken. And unto us on this night, the longed-for restoration of all things has begun. Oh, what a thrill of hope indeed. And at it, this weary world rejoices. Amen.